Welcome to The Future Strategist with James Miller. Today we're going to talk about game theory and Greek mythology. My wife is a professor of classics and she frequently teaches mythology. And when I was looking at some of the myths she teaches, it occurred to me that there was a lot of implicit game theory in them. So we ended up publishing two papers on game theory in Greek mythology. When I teach my game theory class, I frequently go through these myths and explain how they relate to game theory, and my students seem to enjoy it. So I thought I would do a podcast on some Greek myths. Let's start with the myth of Odysseus's recruitment into the Trojan War. Now, you've probably all heard of Helen of Troy. Helen was the most beautiful woman in the Greek world, and all of the Greek kings, of course, wanted to marry her. They recognized that, you know, in the normal course of events, the kings would fight, and the one that survived would the one that would win her, but they realized this would be kind of wasteful. So what they decided to do was something completely radical. They said, hey, let's let Helen pick her own husband. And she did. And the king Odysseus, he was not the husband that she picked. But all of the men pledged that they would support whoever she picked. They would support his rights in his wife. So when Helen was kidnapped by the Trojans, Helen's husband went around to all the Greek kings that you know had previously pledged to support his rights and his wife. And one of one of the men that the Greeks went to was Odysseus. Now Odysseus had a reputation for being extraordinarily smart. He was the strategist. And so naturally they wanted Odysseus to, to plan their invasion of Troy, to tell them what to do. But Odysseus was very, very happy on his home island. He was married, he had a, he had a young son, and he really didn't want to go, but of course he had pledged that he would go. So what was he to do? Well, when all of the Greeks came to his island, Odysseus decided to act like he was completely insane. He, he started plowing his field, but he acted like he had no idea what was going on in the world. So most of the Greeks are like, oh, that's too bad. Odysseus, he would have been a great guy to take with us. But unfortunately, he's insane, so we can't use him. But one Greek, um, whose name is Palamedes, thought, nah, I bet Odysseus is faking. What, did, what could Palamedes do to prove that Odysseus was faking? Well, in one version of the myth of Odysseus's recruitment, what Palamedes did was he grabbed Odysseus's infant son and just put the son in front of the plow. Now, imagine you're Odysseus, right? You're acting like you're crazy and you have no idea what's going on in the world, but someone has just put your infant son in front of your plow. And if you really were crazy, well, you'd kill your son. But if you stopped, well, everyone would know that you were faking. Odysseus, who apparently loved his son, he stopped. Everyone realized he was faking, and he ended up going to fight um, the Trojans. Now, what Palamedes did was he created what's called a separating equilibrium. We can imagine two types of Odysseuses. There's a sane Odysseus, and there's the crazy Odysseus. And Palamedes wanted to do something that would cause the sane and crazy Odysseus to take different paths. And by putting this, his infant son in front of the plow, Palamedes accomplished this, and Odysseus was forced to reveal his type. A, a modern-day example might be with coupons. Let's imagine that there's a grocery store, 
and the grocery store gets two types of customers. One type of customer is very price sensitive. This customer is going to go, you know, when, when she does her weekly shopping, she'll go to, the, to multiple grocery stores and buy the cheapest item, you know, at each store. Another type of customer will just go to the closest grocery store and buy all their stuff there. Now, what the grocery store would like to do is charge separate prices. They'd like to say, well, for customers that are really price sensitive, we'll give them a low price. But for customers who don't care that much about price, they care a little bit, but not enough to spend the time to go to other stores to look for lower price items, we'll charge them more. But how can stores separate the two types of customers? If they just ask, hey, are you price sensitive or not? And if you are, we'll give you a discount. Well, you know, everyone's going to lie. You can imagine a customer going into this grocery store saying, excuse me, I'm a price sensitive customer. Give me a low price. And the store would say, well, wait, you know, what, how do we know you're telling the truth? How do we know you're not lying to us? Well, coupons are a great way of separating um, price sensitive from price insensitive customers. In order to use a coupon, right, you've got to find it in the paper, you've got to cut it out, you've got to carry it with you and spend a bit more time in the checkout line. Only people who are genuinely price sensitive are willing to do this. So coupons are a way of separating the price sensitive types for a price insensitive types and giving the lower price just to the price sensitive types. All right, let's go back to Greek mythology. So after Odysseus was recruited, the Greeks said, okay, let's, let's get Achilles. You know, Achilles was this great warrior. He wasn't as smart as Odysseus, but he was an amazing warrior. He was also, you know, he was pretty young. And his mom had knew of a prophecy that if Achilles goes and fights in the Trojan War, he's going to die. So his mom didn't want him to die. So when all the Greeks came to get Achilles, Achilles' mom dressed him up as a girl and put him in, you know, with a bunch of other girls. So the Greeks are there and they're like, Ay, how, do we, how do we know which is Achilles and which, is, which are the girls? Well, Odysseus, you know, was a very smart guy. He came up with a plan. He put a bunch of weapons of war on a big table and he told all the girls and you know, the person hiding is a girl to, to come by the table. So they, they did. Then Odysseus suddenly blows a battle trumpet or a battle horn. Well, now imagine, you know, you're a girl in ancient Greece. You certainly haven't been trained to fight. And you hear this loud battle horn. What are you going to do? You're going to cringe. You're going to run away. But now imagine you're Achilles. You're the greatest warrior of the ancient world. You're standing right next to weapons. And someone blows a battle horn. What do you do? Oh, yeah. You grab weapons and you, like, you know, you stand really fierce. Well, that's what Achilles did. And Achilles had, had revealed his type. Odysseus managed to separate Achilles from, from all the girls. Now, notice that there's a big difference between how Odysseus was separated and how Achilles was separated. Achilles was fooled. Achilles didn't understand the game that he was playing. See, the trick used on Achilles wouldn't have worked on Odysseus because Odysseus was very smart. He knew exactly what Palamedes was doing, but still, he was put in a situation where even though he fully realized the game he was playing, he had no choice but to make a move that, you know, that revealed his type. Achilles wasn't as bright, and so he was, you were able to sort of get, his, get at his type through surprise. 
I've, um, I've read that interviewers sometimes use something similar to what happened to Achilles. So you're in an interview and they might say, oh, could you please open the window for me? But the window's painted shut and they're looking at how do you behave? Do you, you know, do you, do you struggle at the window and swear at it? Or do you give up really quickly? You know, how much time do you put into a, an impossible task? And that, that might unexpectedly reveal something about your character. As another myth, this one isn't quite as interesting, but it's revealing more about what the Greeks thought. There's a myth of um, Jupiter and Mercury's piety test. So Jupiter was, was the king of the gods, and he went with his god friend Mercury, and they, were, they wanted to test the hospitality of some people. And you know, hospitality was apparently very important in this culture. And what they did is they pretended to be beggars, and you know, they knocked on the door saying, hey, can you give us some food and shelter? And almost every home said no, except for one couple said yes. And as you can imagine, the two gods ended up killing everyone who wasn't generous to them and rewarded the couple that was. Why this is important is that you, know, you can think of these Greek myths as a, was supposed to be a guide to how you should behave. Just as a lot of people today treat the Bible as a guide to proper behavior, well, that's what the Greek myths were. And these myths are saying, you know, even the mighty gods, they just couldn't look into a person's heart, you know, stare into their eyes and know the type of person they are. They've got to arrange little tests, try to trick people into revealing their types. And... You know, and that's a sign, that's what we should do. We shouldn't assume we know someone's character. If it's really important to know someone's character, we've got to come up with a test where we can separate people who have the traits we like and who have the traits we don't like. Now, the final myth I want to talk about is, it's a bit sexist, and I apologize in advance, but of course, ancient Greece was deeply sexist. And this is a myth of um, Atlantia and the golden apples. Now, Atlantia was a woman who had, for the classical Greeks, the finest traits of both a man and a woman. She was extraordinarily beautiful, but she was also extremely strong, extremely athletic. Now, her beauty made her very desirable to all the men, but she didn't want to get married. I mean, no woman who was kind of masculine would have wanted to get married, because if you got married in ancient Greece, you know, you were your husband's servant, you had to stay in his house all the time, it wasn't a very pleasant life. So. All these men wanted to marry Atlantia, and, you know, she was expected to get married. But she came up with a rather clever tactic to stop her from having to get married. She said, okay, well, you know, man wants to marry me. He's, he's got to be more athletic than me. I mean, come on, a, a wife can't be less athletic than her husband. So she said, any man who wants to marry me, you've got to um, race me. We'll have a foot race, and if you win, I'm yours. But if you lose, you die. And of course, you deserve to die if you, you, know, you can't even beat your, the woman you want to marry in a race. So she was so beautiful that you know, lots of men raced her, and they all lost, and they all died. Now, this is one guy, Hippomenes. He fell in love with Atlantia, too, and he really wanted to marry her. He had a slight advantage, though, over all the other men. And the advantage is he had the help of the goddess Venus. Venus was the, the goddess of love. So Venus says, you know, you should, yeah, you challenge her to a race. And, you know, goddess of love tells you to do something so you can get a woman. You're probably going to go along with it. So he did. Now, um, Atlantia, she kind of liked Hippomenes. I mean, she, you know, most of the other guys who raced her, or all the other guys, they, they were unworthy of her. She didn't want them. But Hippomenes, you know, she, she was kind of interested in him. 
but you know she wasn't sure and she ended up trying she tried to get him not to race her she's like look you know i'm gonna win you're gonna die please don't race me but you know Potami still dead you know he wasn't an idiot again he had the venus the goddess of love to help so at the start of the race venus gave Hipponomies three golden apples and then the race started and they're running and of course Atlantia is beating Hipponomies she's, she's faster than any man so Venus says to Hipponomies okay here's what you do take an apple and throw it in front of Atlantia so he does now the apple lands in front of Atlantia and Atlantia has to make a choice does she keep running to, to win the race or does she bend down to pick up a really, really beautiful piece of jewelry? And again, forgive me for the obvious sexism here, but you can think of, you know, she's trying to struggle whether she wants to roll as male or female. There's, you can imagine there's two types of Atlantean. She's not sure which type she is. Is she at heart masculine, at which point, of course, she don't stop a race to pick up a piece of beautiful jewelry? Or is she at heart feminine, at which point, Oh no, a golden apple made by the goddess of love? Yeah, grabbing that's a lot more important than winning the race. Well, what Atlantia did was she reached down and she picked up the apple, and this caused her to slow down enough for Hipponomies to get ahead. Then, you know, the race continued, though, and she eventually overtook him, and Venus says, throw the next apple. So, you know, he threw the next apple in front of Hipponomies, in front of Atlantia, sorry, and she again stopped to pick it up, and um, you know, Ponomi's got ahead, but eventually, then you know, eventually, then Atlantia kept running, and she overtook Ponomi's. So now Ponomi's is getting you know very nervous. So Venus says, "Okay, throw the final apple," and he did. He threw the final apple in front of Venus, in front of Atlantia, and Atlantia went down to pick it up. But now Venus had made this apple so heavy that she couldn't lift it up. And she just stayed there because she just liked this jewelry so much. In a way, she revealed herself to be feminine over being masculine. And Hipponomies ended up winning the race and, and the two of them got married. So what this game shows is that sometimes we don't know something about ourselves. We're not sure about one of our traits. And because we don't know about one of our traits, we don't know what path to follow. And this myth suggests, you know, consider hypotheticals. And this hypothetical, what's more important, winning an athletic contest or having a really nice piece of jewelry? But you, you know, you can imagine other choices. Let's say you're not sure whether you want to focus on your family, having a family, or focus on a career. So imagine that you have a choice. Imagine there's one of two doors you can walk through. In the first, you have a moderate income, but you know you have a large, thriving family. In the other door, maybe you have no kids or just one kid. Maybe you're not even married, but you're very successful. You earn a very high salary. Which door would you rather walk through? Whenever you're, you're facing a choice, you're not sure what, what kind of choice you should make, it's possible it's because you don't really know yourself. So imagine yourself in lots of different possible hypothetical situations and gather experimental data on yourself by imagining which choice you would make. Thank you for listening today. This has been The Future Strategist. Goodbye.